welcome back to the freewheeling podcast my name is ivy mickey and we are here to discuss the last three stages of the giro donna i am joined as always by lauren rowney yes again first up hello everyone literally as always because people some people know this but we've been doing this since 2017 me and lauren we go way back before babies and stuff yeah way before (laughs) babies when babies weren't even like a thought in our minds Look at us now. <laughs> uh, Amy Lauren Jones, who's definitely not thinking about babies. <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> I had to get up at 3 a.m. for a flight and I was actually thinking about like, how the hell do people with babies do this on a regular basis? So It's not super fun. And Tilda, who's probably also not thinking about babies. <laughs> I was hoping me and Amy were the babies you were talking about. I mean, kind of at this point, when you have kids, you look at people who are younger, who don't have kids and you're like, your children. I'll take it. At 28, I'll take that. I'm kidding. (laughs) Amy, your hair looks amazing. Oh, thank you. I mean, it's a bit fluffy at the minute because I'd washed it. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She flew just the UK for nails and hair, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually not dog time. Yeah, <laughs> basically. <laughs> oh, and my parents, I guess. They're all right. Uh, semantics. <laughs> they just picked you up from the airport and dropped you back yeah. off again. <laughs> Provided the food. All right. Should we talk about the Giro? It's over. The Giro has ended. We are a day out. So we've been able to really take it all in, have some thoughts about what everything means. But we should start where we left off, which is stage eight. Also, there was we had this discussion on the first Europod about how everyone's confused whether it's stage one or the prologue. And the same thing happened with the Queen stage. No one knows what day the Queen stage was. Was it stage seven, the mountaintop, or was it stage uh, nine? Nobody knows. I was convinced it was that day with the... Which one were we saying initially when we were talking? Stage was it seven, the, one... the the day that ended with the mountaintop that uh, yeah, I was convinced that it was that because I thought yeah. that was like part of the parameters of what a queen stage is, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just like yeah, I thought queen stage. Well, is queen stage? It could be one of two things: the most amount of elevation, which was the second last day, mm. or do you have to finish? Is it like finishing on a summit? That's that's mm-hmm. where it gets confusing because stage seven finished on a summit, but yeah, stage nine had the most amount of elevation. I would actually almost argue that the most amount of elevation is the queen stage. I mean, that was I a agree. pretty hard day, the, the one with the most elevation. Well, there were a few hard days if we, we weren't getting to right now, but the time gaps, who, who sent that through? Abby, I think, in our chat? Just the gaps between the GC at the end. Oh my gosh. I massive. didn't realize how big they were. Yeah. Hey, Neve here. Just finished stage eight already of the Giro. Um, wow. It's at that point now where you're sort of in that automatic mode. Get up, you eat, you ride, you come home, you massage, you sleep. Everything just goes and it's going really fast now. Um, I think also a good hard few days also helps that go fast too. Um Anyway, today, yeah, hard. Aren't they all hard? 
these stages. Um, but yeah, two two long climbs, a fourteen k climb and the ten k climb, um, with two gnarly descents, the same descent both times. Uh, on the fourteen k climb, a few attacks went away, which is cool to see. Not from big names, but um, yeah, enough pressure was on for the group to whittle down quite a lot. I think actually the most pressure came on on the first descent from Elise and Lucinda of Trek. They absolutely sent it down there. I was happy to be able to hang on to them, <laughs> just and actually by the end of the descent we had dropped all three GC leaders, which yeah I was mad. <laughs> um, and Lucinda, Trek obviously saw that. Lucinda pulled full gas. I remember just sitting behind her, just looking at the back of her wheel because she was going so fast. <laughs> and then actually Meek did make it back to our group just in time to make a nasty attack on the last climb. Yeah, and she sort of rode away there from there with Cavalli. I think Cavalli didn't quite hold on and Meek went solo, did her usual. <laughs> uh, even managed to crash on the descent. Ah. <laughs> and... Yeah, for me, uh, my goal was a little bit to stay with Elisa. Uh, she's the next on GC from me, so I was targeting that spot a little bit. But, yeah, she, she managed to take some time for me today. Yeah, it's always that gamble with the long climbs. Huh? I'm still learning every day, too, the fact that, uh, yeah, you never know when's too deep and when's not quite enough. And Elisa's on top form at the moment, and, and she went pretty hard the bottom of a 10k climb and I just yeah I wasn't prepared to go that hard that early I was a bit scared to actually so um yeah she got the better of me and I think the climb still did her really well too it's a bit more gradual she gets some draft and things and yeah um but I'm I'm not unhappy I have a little bit of regrets but yeah I'm just really happy with how the legs feel and I was happy to sprint to a fifth place which is my best place in this tour so yeah it's cool happy with my descending too and super grateful of my teammates. We're a little team of four here, and Lotta was with me all the way up the long climb, <laughs> getting me bottles even. I felt a bit bad for that because, yeah, she she was, uh, I think, uh, yeah, she just really wanted to get over the climb, and uh, it hurts getting bottles, especially when there's attacks going. <laughs> so, yeah, really grateful for that. And, of course, I, I'll pay her back any day for it. And also Blanca and Elena too, positioning me perfectly the whole time. There's a few moments where I get caught out. So, yeah, we're a really good team and we're enjoying each other's company. And that's what makes this year really cool, huh? <laughs> um, two days to go. Well, another steep climb tomorrow. Um, yeah, I think it'll be good. Hope for good legs. And, yeah, I'll check in with you on the penultimate day. Well, <laughs> hi everyone. This is Leah Thomas with Trek Segafredo. Um, we just finished stage eight um, of the Giro today. Um, it was a pretty daunting stage. Uh, there was a 40k um, flat section into a very long climb. I don't even remember how long. It was either 14k or might have been longer. Um, a pretty technical descent, a 10K stretch through the valley, and then another very long climb, descending the second part of that same descent earlier to the finish line. Um, so it was a huge GC day. Um, our initial plan was to try to get Lucinda in a break early. Um, 
to get her up the road. And the team worked really well, kind of attacking, counterattacking. And for a little bit, Lucinda got a little bit of a gap, um, but um, the Peloton wouldn't let her go. So we rode into that first climb all together. Um, there were some attacks over that climb, but uh, we weren't too worried about that. Kristen Faulkner went up the road. Um, Brody Chapman went up the road. Um, and uh, really, I think the morale from today was everybody fought and rode really well. Um, we had Lucinda and Elisa with the front group over the, the top of the climb. Um, Balsamo and myself were just one or two cars back um, and working hard to, to try to catch back on. Who knows if we would have actually caught back on because Lucinda was attacking the downhill, which was the plan. Um, but through that valley, maybe we could have been helpful. But unfortunately, Balsamo had a little crash. She's fine. We just continued to keep keep riding. Um, Lucinda did a great job of pulling through the valley, and um, Elisa Longoborghini just did a beautiful climb. Um, I feel like she's gaining confidence, really staying within herself, knowing her limits, and not panicking, and that's allowing her to just reel in riders um, as the climb continues to go. So um, in the end, uh, Longo finished third, which I think everybody's very happy about. I think everyone's really proud of their effort, proud of their ride today, and overall the morale is really good on the team. Um, we weren't coming for GC and we um, we're just targeting stages, and so um, there's no real pressure at this point after our stage wins, and I think it's giving us an opportunity to just race and to try new things and learn from them, and that's always really important as well. So overall, a positive day. Um, tomorrow's another really hard day with some more really hard climbs. It's another GC day, but um, some of the climbers seemed a little more tired today. We'll see. Um, what happens tomorrow should be exciting. Yeah, the um, so starting, so let's start at stage eight, which was the 104.7 kilometer hilly stage with two two pretty massive climbs and Anami Van Vluten won that one solo. So when it comes to the general classification, we talked about stage four, which was really the day that Anami kicked off the GC conversation and before we record, well, when we recorded the last podcast was the morning of this stage. And we were all hopeful that Van Vluten wouldn't just run away with it just for entertainment purposes. Um, but then she listened to our podcast while she was in the bus and she was like, screw you guys. And so she rode solo to the finish by almost a minute over Marta Cavalli. But the general classification conversation was still going on behind Van Vluten because we had Mavi Garcia, who was second going into stage eight. And Marta Cavalli rode incredibly well to jump up to second by like a minute and a half at that point over Cavalli. And Elisa Longo-Borghini also finished third on the stage and move, like made moves. She didn't move up, but she just closed down the time gap between herself and third, um, which was huge because, of course, Elise Longoborghini was not in the three-rider move on stage four. So she lost five minutes along with 
all the other GC hopefuls. This was the day that uh, Kristen Faulkner was in a solo, or Kristen Faulkner was in a breakaway with one other rider. Tilda might be correct, correct might corrections corner me because she's got her eyebrows are saying that I'm wrong. I think on this day, she was solo. Um, quite a few attacks went on the first climb. I think that's the day when Brody Chapman was on the attack. I, we, I don't think we saw this at all. And then Kristen uh, attacked, overtook, and was alone. And um, Koppenberg and Costa were chasing, but they never got to her. So I think she spent most of the time alone on that day. But it's a bit confusing, these two stages. Yeah. The, these like three stages were all really mountainous and all kind of blurred together for me. Um, seven, eight, nine, but yeah, Van Vluten with her trademark solo win, which we said in the last podcast that maybe she can't just ride away from everyone anymore. She did, but the time gap is still actually not as big as I, that I think we would have seen in the past. Agree or disagree? What do you make of the... So we, I shared a thread from Twitter in the chat earlier and someone was saying that, like, I saw in the comments underneath it, it's not like such a nun, it's not what you call it. Um, <laughs> someone was saying that, like, she was holding back because the Tour de France has come in, basically. That's what they were implying. And no I don't really see how that... Back. Exactly, exactly. That was my thought no. as well. Also, she she said, like, she's... She's peaking for this. She's got two weeks to kind of do her thing and then come back. And I feel like Van Vluten, if there's any rider who's going to do the double and do it right, it's Van Vluten. She's been around for so long. She knows how to do this. She knows how to time it. Like, there's no way. She doesn't hold back. She doesn't know how to hold back. No, exactly. Mm-mm. This was the stage where she crashed on the descent and still, like, this was the stage where it looked like Cavalli was going to be able to catch her on the descent, maybe, and then Van Vluten crashed on the descent and was so lucky to not get hurt. I mean, she was, oh my gosh. It was almost like a repeat of Rio. Uh, it was watching through my eyes, through my eyes, through my fingers, and, <laughs> and also through my, through my eyes. <laughs> uh, and she, she crashed on the descent and still won by a minute. I mean, it was super impressive. I love how afterwards she was like, sorry, mom. Yeah, that's good. Uh, she's growing on me, actually, Van Vluten. She's heard the criticism and she's decided to opt out of going for the climber's jersey. The video I saw um, Sarah Gigante shared today, it's like three and a half minute video of Anamit giving, I think she gave everyone in the team, including staff, a jersey, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, that, that was cool. so nice. She saved one for everyone. Each of them and wrote like a little message, an individualized message to everyone. So it would be pretty special if you're a staff member or a team member to take one of those pink jerseys home. I mean, we've said it before that like a general classification win, everyone on the team should get to go on the podium and which they did. They got the team classification. I think FDJ got the team classification. No, FDJ got it, didn't they? Oh, did they? By I like just saw them all signing on the podium and I thought they, they got it. I'll be honest, I don't often pay attention to that. It's more so I didn't really have anyone else up there. That they? is true, they didn't. I do have something to say on the basis of the Van Vleuten run, uh, riding away from everyone thing. I think the moment that really solidified the fact that she doesn't just do that anymore is when she joined Faulkner on the climb, 
Faulkner stuck on her wheel for quite a while. I mean, it was probably like one and a half K. But as soon as she accelerated to catch Faulkner, I thought, oh, right, she'll go straight past her. But she didn't. And the fact that Faulkner had been out there all day and stuck on her wheel, I think um, it shows that that gap is closing. And also the point that we maybe shouldn't have to make is that we're not, it's not a criticism of Van Vleuten to say she's not just riding away from anyone anymore. It's more of a praise of everyone else. I don't think she's fading. I think everyone else is coming up, which which is a good thing. And it's only a positive thing for the racing. Not We're not sitting here being like, oh, she's on her way out. We're saying, isn't this good that this gap is closing? Yeah, and I think the reference point that we often make this riding away, and I think Danny mentioned it in her in the commentary, was um, she was actually saying the same things that we're saying now is when Elisa Longo-Borghini called her the alien. I don't know if it was 2019 or 2020, but she literally at the start of the climb, and it was like a 16-kilometre climb, Anamik attacked and rode away and put, I think, was it three or four minutes into the whole peloton? And we're talking about, you know, Anna van der Breggen, Elisa, Ashley Moorman, all the top climbers. So that that's the reference point that we're referring to now. And the way that Anna Meek rides is she just keeps turning the screws on those climbs. And basically that's what we saw is just it gets to that point where riders crack and can't quite hold on to that pace anymore. Whereas before it was like she really was just bang, attack, um, full gas, and then settle into a pace that no one could maintain. She also, I remember, I think it was 2019 when she attacked on a climb that was mid-stage just so she could get a head start on the descent and then just sat up and went back to the Peloton just because she didn't want to, like, just because she was like, I don't want to descend with everybody, which, like, she did the same thing on stage four, but she took two riders with her and they made made a race out of it. So I feel like Van Vluten is taking racing a little bit differently and it's it's nice to see not that i ever disliked van vluten but she the way that she has raced in the past has made her a target and i think she knows that and that's why she didn't go for the mountain jersey just because for this race she let other people which is kind of like that quote is a little bit of like a backhanded comment like oh i'd didn't go for it to give it to someone else. But when it was actually quite a good battle between Elise Shabby and, uh, and Kristen Faulkner for the mountain Jersey. Um, but still, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I was going to say you can teach an old dog new tricks, but she's not like that. old. <laughs> like she has also made comments, I think in like recent years that she's like doing her best numbers and that she's feeling like the best she ever has. So that's just also a, that's testament to how strong the rest of the peloton is nowadays. So, yeah, it's definitely, like Tilda said, it's not a criticism of her. It's just, like, an observation that the level is so much higher all round. Definitely. And I think what we've seen in those last two hard stages stages before the final stage where, um, you know, Teams know what they need to do if they want to try and at least beat her. And for Marta Cavalli, was it stage nine where she finished alone behind Faulkner? Um, yeah. Attacking on the descent, you know, it came back together again. And then she had another crack with Elisa Longo-Borghini. And then she just decided to push it to the line. 
Um, and yeah, she was never going to take the GC away from Anamique on that day um, in those final 10 to 15 kilometers. But it was great to see her, you know, just just having a go and testing testing the waters because I guess we'll get into it maybe at the end of the podcast or perhaps next week, what we can expect of the Tour de France uh, Femmes of Vex Swift. Stage nine of the Girodonna, the penultimate day, and uh, the body's still holding up, I think. Well, felt pretty good. Felt pretty okay today, so that's good. Um, and I think today was probably the hardest day yet. Three climbs, long, pretty hard, with the final climb being really steep and full gas. So, yeah, it was a hard day. Not to mention that the finish was also uphill. So, yeah, big day. And I think nine days into it all, everyone's bodies felt it today. Yeah, even if you're anemic. So, <laughs> yeah, there's, I always like to think of it like that. Um, <laughs> in terms of the race, yeah, I think, I mean, it was okay. Part of me is a little dissatisfied because it was probably the last day to for anything to change on the GC or another chance to get a, a really good result for myself too. Um, but at the end of the day, it was felt like maybe pretty negative racing. I mean, the GC riders were just focused on maintaining the GC spot at what enemy was anyway. And then, yeah, there were breaks going way early. But, yeah, it was... Uh, it was a really good move by Kristen Faulkner to go away really so early on the first climb. And actually that takes a lot of guts to do that because it's, it's a really big day to be out by, well, it was just two of you and then the final by, by herself too. So that's, yeah, that's crazy and got to have some respect for her for that. Um, but, yeah, not too much happens behind yeah, some breaks went away and there were quite a few riders that got a head start into the final hard climb. But, yeah, the usual story, split up there and I did my best to stay off the top five um, for as long as I could. And Anamik and Cavalli um, rode away and I just couldn't hang on to Longo over the top. I could see her for a long time. And she managed to, I think, get back to them on the descent, which, yeah, that's cool. And I, I descended with Juliette, Labou and Mavi. Um, and then went to the finish with a small group. Um, managed to win that little bunch kick um, again. So that's also nice to, to take some compliments out of my little kick. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't know. I have mixed feelings about today, but... I think I should also be happy because at the end of the day, my goal for this tour was top five on GC. And after today, that's hopefully pretty secure. Um, but, yeah, obviously tomorrow is another day to defend it and, and finalise it. Um, so hope for the best there. Um, we'll really tackle tomorrow because always <laughs> I remember last year we thought the last day would be uh, the easy day, but actually it was one of the hardest days. So I'm I'm prepared for a hard day tomorrow. Um, yeah, in terms of everything else, it's going well. And I'm, yeah, still smiling 
ready to go each day and yeah except eating today I struggled with eating a little bit eating bars on the bike I was like just chew Neve, just chew it just get it down you <laughs> but I guess we're at that point now where we're just fueling the bodies just purely for fuel but yeah <laughs> anyway catch up with you tomorrow and as we finalize this this whole tour and hopefully it's all positive so yeah Hi everyone, this is Leigh Thomas with Trek Segafredo. We just finished stage nine of the Giro and man, it was <laughs> such a stage. Um, you thought yesterday was hilly and they threw in a, another crazy nasty climb at the end that was, I think over four and a half K at 11% and maybe like six or seven K averaging 10.2%. So the top was slightly flatter, but nonetheless, it was quite a steep climb. Uh, it's saving grace was that it was in the shade, which was really nice. Um, today's stage was really exciting. Um, Eliza, well, I guess I'll get to that in a second. It started off pretty fast. Canyon attacked with like five K to go wanting a break to go up the road. Um, and a break did split, but, um, it was too close to the start of the climb, which started at 10 K to get any time and Movistar kept it within like 10 seconds. So, um, we kind of all went into the climb together and, um, a break formed at the bottom of the climb, which I was in. Um, and I don't know, after K or two or three, I have no idea. After some length of time, it got reeled back in and, um, some more attacks went. Kristen Faulkner went up the road at that point. Um, and uh, my effort, I don't know, in the break was I, I was pretty maxed out and, and attacking before the hill even. And um, so I kind of yo-yoed off the top of that climb um, and caught back on over the top. And uh, eventually um, Balsamo and... Loretta Hansen caught back on as well. So we had five in the front group um, and kind of maintained a gap. Lucinda did an awesome attack on the descent, which is just her, you know, her crazy skill and got a group to go off the front with her, which stayed away um, until maybe 3K left on the final climb. Um, but it was just a great effort. And so... Um, Eliza did what she's been doing all week and rode the climbs at her pace, never panicked, stayed within herself, railed the descents, and really, really pushed to try to get um, to third in GC. She got a gap off of Mavi Garcia. Um, I believe it was on the final descent um, and really rode hard to try to, um, you know, gain those seconds. Um, in the end, it wasn't successful. Mavi had enough help from behind um, and I'm sure was strong herself. But um, I think Elisa's really proud of her effort and we're all really proud of her effort. And I think overall, we're just really proud of the team. Everybody fought to keep coming back, to keep coming back. If there's anything we could do to help, um, that was really important. And... I think we accomplished that, and I think she felt that support and encouragement 
Um, and I'm just really pleased with the week as the whole team. Um, personally, I felt like today I felt a little, I felt a little stronger, which is just rewarding. I have to give huge shouts out to the staff at Trek because I mean, they have worked hours and hours and gone above and beyond to try to help my neck out and really, um, are doing everything to try to help me, um, be as successful as I can be. And that's all you can ask from anybody. Everybody's trying their best. And that's, what's so cool about this team. Um, so anyway, tomorrow is a flat stage. Um, it's only like 90 K or so, um, should be fast and furious. Um, and hopefully we will have the legs and the opportunity to go for a stage win. We'll see how it all plays out. I know everybody's really tired, but everybody's really tired. And so, um, yeah, one more day to go. So we just got to the final hotel of the race. Um, we're in Padova now, actually. It's a pretty nice hotel. I've just been lying on the bed and the beds are comfy. And I just saw that. We've got a pretty nice line tomorrow, so I'm pretty happy about that, um, especially after the last two days we've had in the mountains. But, um, yeah, I'm pleased to see the back end of those. They've pretty hard days, hot hot and hilly. Um, but, yeah, just a uh, yeah, bit of a shake-up in the GC. So, um, so moving around, top, stop, uh, top spot is obviously pretty, well, wrapped up now. But, yeah, the the fight for the podium was was pretty exciting. Um but yeah, just tomorrow got one last stage, 97k, pretty flat. Um, then it's time to go home. It's it's been a pretty strange Giro for us. We've had not really been able to do what we planned to do a few a few weeks ago. Um, we've had a few injuries, illnesses coming into it, and a few illnesses also within the race. So yeah, tomorrow it's just me and Amalia on the start line for us. But yeah, we're just looking looking to grow and take opportunities and. Yeah, going to the next races from here, really. Yeah, stage nine. I mean, if it was the queen stage, it was it was a great queen stage. Like, Kristen Faulkner was off the front for solo for a long time, taking up mountains points, so she won the the mountain classification yeah. on that day. And uh, Marta Cavalli finished second a minute behind Faulkner. And then Elisa Longo-Borghini had an incredible ride as well to finish with Van Bluten just like 15 seconds later to try to take more time on Mavi Garcia, which she finished like two over two minutes ahead of Mavi Garcia. But because of that massive gap after stage four, she couldn't move on to the GC podium, but I think it was still a really great ride from Elisa Longoborghini and yeah, uh, Cavalli and Elisa, they attacked on the final descent, um, into like the final kicker climb and were, were able to put time into Van Vluten who, did not look too fussed about it because she, at that point, the GC was hers and it was better to just get down safely. And then, uh, Gariolini, she, uh, young Italian, she had a really impressive ride as well to finish fifth just behind them. And then, yeah, our, our buddy, Neve Fisher Black. We'll say, which was the day when Neve Bradbury had a really good ride? She uh, the day before, I mean, she had a great tour in general, but I think it was the day before. Stage eight, when she came in with, um, who was it? Uh, it was, she came in just behind Cecilia Utrip Ludwig. Cecilia Utrip Ludwig and Juliet Leboeuf. She was, she was ninth on the day. Yeah. Juliet Leboeuf. Did I say, never mind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
stage eight. But yeah, she did have a great tour overall. And she's, I mean, she's she won the uh, Zwift Academy last year and then was kind of trapped in Europe and not racing a whole lot and not able to get home. And I know that at the end of last season, she didn't know if she was going to be able to go home because the tickets were so expensive to fly back to Australia because of COVID and whatever. And, um, and she was feeling really, really down and not really sure about the whole bike racing thing. So, so to see her put in a really great ride, like she did, um, at the Giro is really, is super exciting. I mean, the time gaps and the general classification are massive, but to finish inside the top 10 on the GC is regardless of time gaps is still an impressive feat. And she was 10th overall. Um, 17 minutes, 17 and a half minutes down. Uh, okay. Back to stage nine really quick. Um, we, so last, the last couple episodes, we've been super critical of Kristen Faulkner, which is purely based on a bike racing, uh, tactical analysis point of view, but Maybe we laid into her a little bit too hard on last episode and we got some comments back that people were pretty um, disappointed with how we spoke about her. So I'd like to apologize for for being too critical of her. I think uh, that I, I think we can all agree that she's an insanely strong rider and we're excited to see what happens with her in the future. And she's got an incredible career ahead of her. Um, so I'm really sorry to Kristen for the comments and for, for maybe being a little too critical. And I mean, we recorded that podcast and then she proceeded to have two days solo off the front of the race and win the queen stage. So she had an incredible race. I mean, two stage wins, the prologue and the queen stage, two very, very different efforts, um, that she was able to win. So she's kind of like putting bike exchange Jayco back on the map. I mean, unfortunately we lost Amanda Spratt ahead of stage nine due to a positive COVID test. She's kind of chipping away at that form. And we've been really excited to see how she's done throughout the year so far, but yeah, Kristen's kind of salvaging their season. Cause they've not last year, they basically did nothing. And this year in the beginning of the year, the same. And so she's with these results and tour de Swiss, she's, kind of bring, making making team bike exchange great again. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I think uh, the fact of, of Spratt dropping out on uh, the before, was it stage eight, stage nine? Stage nine. Was it the first day? The first day Kristen went on the attack? Stage eight. I think in some ways that was a bit of a... Um, there was a silver lining to that in the fact that Faulkner could then ride fully for herself with no, she didn't have to think about what was going on with the GC and balancing those two different um, objectives. And in some ways, I think uh, coming away with the win on the, on the Queen stage in such an impressive fashion is probably a better result for bike exchange than fifth, sixth on GC that Sprat might have held on to, not to undermine the riders that were coming in fifth and sixth, and I'm sure Amanda Spratt, especially coming back from surgery, would have really taken a lot of confidence from that. But in terms of visibility for the team and us saying, wow, that was a really impressive ride, those two rides from Kristen probably did that more than 
yeah, kind of mid top 10 place on GC may have. So I think, although it seemed like a really big blow at the time, I think they can kind of be happy with the way the weekend ended for them. Yeah, for sure. And I think her herself, Kristen, was pretty disappointed with, uh, was it the day that the GC was almost, well, decided, uh, Mm -hmm. stage three or four, she had um, hydration issues or she was dehydrated, which took a huge toll on on her performance that day. So sometimes when that happens as well, speaking of silver linings, you have that ability to then go in these sorts of moves because you're not looked at as a GC rider anymore. Um, Obviously you have to have incredible strength like Faulkner to pull off what she did because on stage nine, she rode away from her companion. She attacked her with I think 27 kilometers to go. It was a great ride by the young Italian, but um, you know, you, you have to have a certain amount of strength to be able to do that, but she wouldn't have just been able to go in that move if she was too close on GC. Stage four, I think a lot of people had um, had hydration issues because I think one of the main comments that came out of that stage was it was hot, which, yeah, we're having a heat wave in Europe, so. Everywhere, mate. UK is boiling, isn't it, Tilda? It is. It is boiling. Oh. No worries. It ties into, was it Amy who sent some sort of, what was it, a press release or an article on potentially changing the dates of the Giro? Yeah, what should we say about this relating to the heat? Yeah, because the Giro, well, I mean, they run the Tour de France in the middle of summer. But Italy is usually hotter. Exactly. So it's a pretty horrendous time of year. It's almost like running it in Spain um, because they started really far south too this year. Yeah, and there's like, there's a reason why in the men's calendar, the Giro is in May and the Vuelta Mm -hmm. is in September. And uh, the women's calendar seems to forget that. I mean... There's more than one reason to move the Giro out of July. Like, obviously, mm. we overlap with the Tour de France, which if you look at cyclingtips.com. No, or any no, website. Or any website, like no hate to our own. Don't look at those websites, actually. No, yeah, websites. Don't look at any other website. Um, <laughs> there's like Amy and I are trying to churn out Giro articles and the Giro ends two or three hours before the men's tour stage ends. And one hour before the men's tour stage has even ended, our articles are already at the bottom of the page and just getting pushed to the next page because there's so much content around the men's tour, which it's it it it's going to happen. It's the biggest race, biggest spike race in the of the year, every single year. And so many people tune in. It's important to have all that coverage. But the Giro overlapping with it, has, this has always been an issue that when the Giro is on, it's just completely forgotten about. And I think that the fact that there was live coverage this year made a huge difference for people actually tuning in and watching, especially when the men's tour was boring AF. Um, but it's still like when you go and try to find anything about the Giro on any cycling website, it's, it's basically non-existent no matter how hard the journalists are working to get coverage on the site. So I feel like yeah, but well, 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 what can we do? Women's coverage as well. Like, yeah. there's nothing going on. Like, children are looking for Women's Cycling Weekly because we share articles. And there's nothing, and in a way, I can. I'm like fair because, like you just said, everything's going to get buried because it's 
the Tour de France is just this juggernaut. Like it's all that cycling cares about for three weeks. The thing is, like, you can't just. I guess we can't just halt women's cycling. That's what I was going to say. Like, you can't. What are you going to do? Just completely shut down the sport for three weeks? Yeah, you can't. No, but don't have like one of the biggest races. No. Going yeah. on at the same and time. also, I mean, having two grand tours within two weeks of each other, that's just unheard of, like in men's cycling. hate to do the comparison, but it's true. And if you're a grand tour rider, and it seems this is the direction we're heading in with the Vuelta getting longer, we're going to have three like or more if you count the race in... Tour of Scandinavia. Tour of Scandinavia, potentially four grand tours on the women's calendar. You can't have it. You can't have July, August. I mean, Anamik, I think, is going to be one of the few riders who can really back up and be a GC threat at both. That being said, um, from what we've seen at the Giro um, with FDJ, like Marta is on incredible form, obviously. It'd be interesting to see if she's able to come down from this and then come back up. I know they've said that Cecily is going to be the out-and-out leader, but based on how she rode at the Giro and we're only two weeks away from the Tour de France, what are your thoughts on that? It's hard to say whether she... I mean, obviously, we didn't get to see them compete against each other, which they shouldn't because they're on the same team, but she couldn't keep up with Van Vluten when Van Vluten attacked on stage four. Only Cavalli and... Mavi Garcia could do that. We obviously didn't see it, so we don't know like where she was in the bunch. We don't know if she was like poorly positioned or if she got stuck behind somebody or whatever. We don't know what happened, but this is such an interesting thing that I just feel like FDJ signed Sile and she was their sole leader for a year, two years, and then they brought on more talent and they're still holding on to that um, loyalty to Sile when potentially at this point she hasn't earned it. Hey, we're going to get some hate mail again. <sighs> Look, if this was a men's cycling podcast, they would never get those comments. I said it no, off, off air, but I'm going to say it again. Because we're just having a healthy discussion about yeah. what we've observed. Yeah, exactly. To be fair, on this, this topic, if they went into the tour and – You've, we see this with men's teams again. It's just what it is. But if they went in and said, like, Marta, sorry, Cecilia is the leader. Marta has, like, kind of a free reign to also to be kind of like almost the backup leader. So, like, she's kind of protected, but not really. That's also a good option because in the event that Cecilia can't deliver, then they just ride for Marta. Let's not forget. Yeah. Grace Brown's going to be there as well to yeah. to add a bit of fire. I mean, I don't think, I don't know how Grace is going and I'm not sure what the whole overall tour is going to look like, um, but we've seen her perform quite well in the women's tour on that, the, the queen stage there. And did you guys watch the race on Friday when the men raced up? Um, I always say it wrong. Launch to Belfi. I I feel like having watched the men race it, I'm I don't actually think that Anamika is going to just ride away with the general classification, especially with okay. So if we've learned anything, I feel like we're bouncing all over the place. I'm going to kind of rein us in a little bit, and I'm going to get us back onto like a 
I wrote an article on cyclingtips.com. It's a great website if you want to check it out um, about like takeaways from the Giro and what we can take from the last 10 days of racing into the tour to kind of get excited about what the tour is going to offer us. And I feel like one of the things that we can take away is that the, the course really dictates how the general classification is going to be raced, especially at the tour, which we've said it before, like the tour builds every single day and gets more progressively more, uh, elevation gain throughout the week. And so what that looks like to me is that people have watched this race. They know because you can, they know that Van Vluten is, uh, is on descents or potential. That's potentially where she could lose time. Um, I feel like teams going into this, especially Trek, uh, Canyon Shram, FDJ, they need to gain time on Van Vluten before they get to Planche de Belfi. And that's, they need to race aggressively in the week leading up to Planche de Belfi. When they get there, the, the climb is not long enough for her to just ride away from everybody and the race be over, especially if she's lost time already. Whether they can actually gain time on her before then is another question, but that's kind of how I'm seeing the potential GC battle, everyone v Anamique kind of going down. I could be wrong, but this is well, my thoughts. One of you three, or all three of you, I'm sure, are going to do a deep dive into each stage. Yeah, all all three of us are going to write previews on different websites. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I'm not. I'm no, you're not. I'm joking. I was making a joke. I'm funny. Oh. I, I think as well, I think Van Vleuten is very keenly aware of the fact that GC time may go on other stages. Um, she was talking about this after the Giro and uh, giving a lot of praise to her team for keeping her safe on the flat days because she knows she can do it on the hard days. But there were a couple of moments. I don't remember which stage it was, but she was slightly out of position somewhere or caught behind a crash or something. And and she said that she now has that experience of knowing that you really, really, really need to be turned on and focused on those days, perhaps for a rider like her more so even than on a mountain stage. Um, and in her discussion of the team and the fact that they're going to take mainly the same team to the Tour de France, she did seem to be thinking about the fact that those are the days where she needs to really look out for losing time and and it's where teams like Trek who have quite a good kind of ruler classics rider specialism could really take it to a team um like Movistar so I think yeah it would not surprise me at all if they tried to kind of show cracks in each other on on days that we're looking at as flatter easier days and I mean let's not forget SD works are going to have to have a similar approach too I think, unless they're putting all the eggs in the, the Demi Vollering basket. But I think Demi is far more capable of getting in the mix, say, um, on the gravel day. We're still not sure how that's going to look, but if it's if it's a bit technical, you'll see big gaps open on a stage like that. Yeah. Although the gravel day in the Giro, that could it could it be called gravel even? It was like treacherous in 2020. Oh yeah, I believe it was. It was. Anamik won that one solo. She did, yeah. She bossed it. That's that, huh? We finished the Giro Donna for 2022. 
um, 10 hard days in the sun. <laughs> That's probably what made it hardest. Uh, well, actually nine days with the, with the prologue, but yeah, the prologue was pretty hard too. <laughs> Um, I'm just in Milan Airport now, a very, very busy Milan Airport. As you can probably tell from my voice, I'm pretty tired. Sort of the re the mind's let go now. There's no pressure to recover and, and get ready for the next day now. The mind is there, ha, time to relax. And yeah, definitely I think that was the hardest thing probably for everyone today, just keeping the mind in the, in the, the head in the game. <laughs> But um, we definitely did it, and it was a grippy, grippy last day. Flat stage, short and fast. Um, there was a hill early on, which was, yeah, it was pretty hard. There was some pressure on up there. And uh, I enjoyed the race because I, I sort of let go a little bit and went back to my own racing instincts and, and tried to follow a few attacks and things. So I, I had fun with it. I was hoping a little bit more would happen. Some teams would try some things, but most teams just waited for the sprint. Um, we rode for Lotta in the sprint, but yeah, it was a bit of a tricky sprint. Uh, I think a few teams got it wrong a bit. Balsamo also got it wrong, obviously, and yeah, Lotta didn't get it right either. So um, yeah, it was not the result we we hoped to finish with, but yeah, I think we can be really happy with the tour. Um, got to stand on the final podium there for for the white jersey, and and I'm really proud to take away top five in GC that was a goal that I came for so it's really cool um, definitely it was a huge team effort we only finished with four but with Christine as well in the beginning it's yeah and also the staff I think no one can quite comprehend how yeah much the work the staff have to do behind the scenes and then no one sort of sees that part of it um, maybe we race on TV but yeah no one sees what the staff are doing and that, and there, they've got the early mornings and the late nights, and yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, that's the Girodona done and dusted, and uh, I'm really happy. I think I think the team's really happy, and yeah, it was a really well organised race, and it went really well. So, yeah, now for some rest and recovery, and some lots of Tour de France watching because I won't be at the Women's Tour de France, but yeah, I'll be cheering on my teammates from behind the TV stream. So, yeah, thank you. And thank you, Abby and the Freewheeling Podcast for having me share my Giro with you. It's uh, been really a pleasure to share my thoughts a little bit every day, and I hope you enjoyed. Hi, everyone. This is Leah Thomas from Truck Segafredo. Um, we finished the Giro. Uh, it was a pretty flat stage today. There was one short kicker of a hill that was a little bit painful. Um, Canyon strung it out there, but um, all the sprinters made it back. Um, Bozzy made it over in the front group. Um, a break of two went up the road, and it was our job to control it. Um, we really wanted to try to go for one more stage win. Um, unfortunately, I think we ended up in fourth. Um, and it didn't work out, but overall it was a successful Giro. Um, I think that the atmosphere was really great the whole week. Everyone was really positive. Everyone really fought for one another. Um, and everybody, you know, really rode the best that they could and raised their level. So really happy with that. Um, 
now we get a little bit of a break and on to the tour, which will be another crazy, crazy adventure. So everything's really great. Um, fortunately, we couldn't get on the podium today, but um, we'll learn from it and do better next time. As far as takeaways from from the Giro, I'm going to kind of like look to my article and we can discuss some of the key points. Uh, we've gotten into Van Vluten quite a bit, but I think that she is still very, very good. We can take that away from this Giro. Um, the Giro Tour double is going to be really interesting, especially when it comes to like, like was already pointed out, Movistar is going to bring much the same team. But then we've got SD Works, which is going to bring in pretty much an entirely new team for the Tour de France Femme. And then Trek, who's doing kind of a combination of they're going to have some of the same riders and swap out for some other riders. Same with Canyon Stram. So a lot of teams are taking very different approaches to the composition of riders that they're going to take to the Giro Tour double, which I find quite fascinating. Obviously, FDJ is going to add their fourth leader to their to their uh, trident fork to their fork attack of the race. Um, that kind of brings into another point, which is something that we've talked about at nauseum this year, which is that teams with more riders on the roster are going to be better suited to the back-to-back Giro tour double. If teams have more options, obviously we saw with SD works, multiple riders went home before the race was over and so by the end of the race, they were really low on numbers. They have enough riders at home sitting, waiting for the Tour de France Femme to be able to make sure that their team is still stacked with good talent. But for other teams that will maybe, for example, Team Bike Exchange is very short on top talent at this point in time. And we don't know how Spratty's going to come back for the Tour de France Femme. So when it comes to the number of riders on team rosters, that's something that's going to be really interesting with the Giro Tour double as well. The one thing that I wasn't necessarily expecting to see out of the Giro was riders leaving to focus on the tour, which Mariana Voss did. Um, and you can totally understand it because she's focusing on sprints. So what, why would you put yourself through three big days of sprinting, uh, of climbing? Um, but yeah, it's... Lotta Kopecky and Demi Vollering were talking about this in a press conference a few weeks ago about how if you're a sprinter or a ruler, it's going to be easier to do both because of what stages you're focusing on in terms of it's more the first half of both weeks, whereas trying to keep fresh between the end of the Giro and the end of the tour, that's why Demi Vollering is uh, only doing the tour, but Lotta Kopecky decided to do both. Um so yeah, it will be interesting to see the effect of that. I know Van Bloyten said she still feels really fresh after the Giro, so she's not too worried about that. But I know what the hell. <laughs> yeah, I mean she's you know It that... wasn't hard enough, Amy. No. no she said not. she woke she was like, Oh yeah, some some days I've woken up on the last day and felt really smashed, but today I just felt fine. <laughs> so This is coming from yeah. someone who can do a thousand kilometers in a week. So Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it it kind of will remain to be seen, and I I think actually we we will see, still even see riders experimenting with um, backing up really long stage races afterwards because I think some riders are going to go from the tour to the tour of Scandinavia as kind of a less 
big test run to see how they fare over two back-to-back races without it having to be uh, the Jura and the Tour. So I think, yeah, it's going to be a few weeks until we really have a good understanding of how how teams and riders put the two together. I think we can assume that um, that it's uh, the two weeks in between is actually not going to provide as much recovery as some people will need because what we didn't know at the beginning was how the final, the stages seven, eight, and nine were going to be raced. And those three stages backloaded into a race when riders are already fatigued from the first six stages, uh, mean that they're going to come out of the race on definitely, definitely on the fatigued side. And like, I think that will make the transition a little bit more complicated than just saying, oh, two weeks, we'll recover in time. Well, like Tilda was saying as well, like it's the GC riders that are going to be the ones that have been, uh, I don't know what the word is, heavy loaded. Because if the, those last days, except for the and even the sprint day, um, if you are a lot of Kapeki who wasn't going uh, like previously in 2020 when she was climbing at that higher level and really having a crack, you can sort of set up in the Grappetto and just roll in um, and use it more or less as a training day once once the, the GC contenders are gone. So for her, I'm guessing she's doing the double. Um, she'll probably pull up fine. It will be the riders like Marta Cavalli, uh, Mavi Garcia, and we saw with her, um, she had a really strong first half to the tour and then she just sort of faded away towards the end, whereas I feel like Cavalli just got better. I feel like the flip side to that is that that's what those riders train for though as well, like I guess. I mean, I do not know anything about that, but I imagine they do more kind of, that sort of effort and training if that's the sort of thing they're targeting so maybe they're a bit more prepared for it and can recover from it because they're used to doing that I don't know I am not a coach this is why I'm not a coach yeah I think that's the difference though it's it's less how well you go over the two races and it's more how well you recover in between the two and I think again I don't know anything about physiology but your, your body does kind of train to recover better and that's what makes Van Bloyten really good is that she can do this back-to-back huge days and recover in the gap a lot better than other riders do. I, I think. think she, based on what we've seen over the years, she seems to deal with heat acclimation quite well. That's another thing to factor into recovery is if, if you're a rider who really suffers in the heat, when you come off 10 days of, and they've been in Italy longer than 10 days, um, of two weeks of this extreme heat and riding above your limit, that's what kills you um, is those sorts of things. And vouch for that. I did one hour in the middle of the day today and I am dead. And that is my limit. That's my limit on a good day. And I just had COVID as well. So. <laughs> a couple of the other key takeaways that I, that I wrote about had a lot to do with the stages themselves or the way that the race was, laid out. Um, we had obviously 10 days of racing provides 10 opportunities for riders to win races. And there was a couple of surprise winners that we got. Uh, we got obviously Juliette Labou on stage seven. And then we also had Kiara Consoni won the final day, which was a massive win for her. And you could tell just how excited she was for that win. Um, but we, but with Faulkner winning two stages and then 
those two winning two stages, it wasn't like the race was completely dominated by one team. I mean, Van Vluten was great, but she, but Movistar didn't have anyone else up there. Emma Norsgaard was, was not up factoring in the sprints. Like we probably would have expected. She was third on the final day, but I mean, she really wasn't part of the sprints and, uh, same with Trek Segafredo. They had both Aliza's rode incredibly well, but like Balsamo won two stages and, and Aliza Longaborghini didn't win anything. So we didn't have like a one team dominating the race. Like we had last year with SD works and speaking of SD works, they walked away with basically nothing. The young rider, the best young riders Jersey from our buddy Neve. But other than that, just Lada Kopecky was second on stage six and that's it. Well, something, something that Tilda brought up, um, that was interesting with the way that the course was laid out. Obviously the Giro did a better job of planning a course this year than last year when the general classification was decided on the second stage and the race was basically over. Um, but we had a lot of mountainous stages and a lot of sprint stages, but there was a lack of kind of those in between days that are too challenging for the sprinters, but not really general classification days. So the breakaway gets a chance. I mean, those breakaway days are so important for the Italian, the non-world tour Italian teams that come to this race and need to take something back to their sponsors for next year. And there was none of that this year. I mean, I think we would have expected that out of stage four. And obviously that is not how I would have expected that out of stage four. And obviously that's not how it panned out. And I maybe would have even expected it out of stage six, but also not how it worked out. So there was no opportunities for non-world tour teams other than Valkar, which is basically a world tour team in all but level. No, I mean, I think that's something that um, when building a race, it's really important to have those stages that can go to the breakaway, which is not something we actually see from the Tour de France Femme at all. Like we, we can't really, we don't know what's going to happen with this race. And I've never seen a multi-day race build a parkour like, uh, ASO have done with the Tour de France Femme of X-Wift, but there's also not really any in between stages there. And it's, yes, we want to have a GC battle every day, but those days when the breakaway succeeds are just as, if not more exciting than GC days. So it is kind of a bummer that we're coming out of this race and there was only really two stages where the breakaway was successful. And one of them was a solo breakaway from Kristen. And the other was the mountaintop stage one by Juliette Labou, which were both really exciting days, but both world tour teams. So there wasn't any non-world tour team factoring in the race, which we've said it before and we'll continue to say it, it that the gap between the world tour teams and the non-world tour teams is just getting bigger and bigger. And I think that we can, we can see that still in this because years previously we would have seen like stages like stage six would have, you know, gone to the Cole Wahoo or what was the, what, what was the, what was, what team was Lizzie Banks on when she won the one stage where they went the wrong way? Olika. Bigla? Yeah. Yeah. Bigla, whatever it was called then. Sad. I'm sad that I just referenced that team. Yeah, anyway. I was going to say, are you all right? Representation <laughs> from the the team that's been around for a very long time, Fasa Bortolo. That's right, the right name. Yeah, right? yeah. There yeah. was top um, girls. Yeah, 
Exactly. There were a few of the their young riders really present um, in those breakaway situations, but of course didn't manage to finish it off. Um, what team was that? That rider, Guilini? No, Gaia Rellini. So I've never heard of this team. Um, is on months. I had to look her up during the race, but that was a really great ride by that young rider. But I hundred percent agree with you, Abby. Um, Still, overall, I think it's worth saying that um, at the start, we thought the, the stages were maybe a little bit short for the Grand <laughs> Tour from what we're used to. But overall, I really enjoyed the Giro and I thought it was a good race. Probably the best Giro that, well, we haven't been able to watch them really. Yeah, I was going to say, we the best Giro we've ever seen live. It is. <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, it was good. It was exciting um some good teamwork there to see i thought from fdj particularly on that last stage when Brody chapman put herself in the break and then tried to help cavalli where she could um i think ideally they would have hoped for her to have gotten to the top of the climb and then been able to do something on the descent perhaps um to try and get some time back but just in general i i enjoyed the race um <laughs> Okay, so with with the mention of Cavalli, can we bring up my my outrageous Twitter claim that had people all hot and bothered that Italian an Italian will win the Giro, and I think it'll be next year. It's not outrageous when, when it's the true. Last time an Italian with two thousand eight, yeah, wow, it's been a minute. But I feel like the Italians in general were incredible at this Giro, like. Between Balsamo winning two stages and wearing the pink jersey for two stages, we had Elisa Longaborghini just being a boss like all the time and really putting in an incredible performance over the the last four stages since, I mean, to keep fighting for the GC like she did when she was five minutes down is just awesome. And, uh, and obviously Cavalli having just an incredible, incredible performance the entire 10 days. I just feel like Italians, I'm so hyped on Italians right now. Well, I just want to say the Italians are the new Dutch. Not yet, but they're coming for it. They're coming for that crown. And when Anamika has left the building, I, I assume Elisa <laughs> is, is still going to race for quite a few more years. Um, it's, it's a younger contingent the the italians elisa is extended with trek through 2024 well there you go so, so at least she's gonna be around for a minute after yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah they're all, all super young they're all just like, getting started cavalli yeah. balsamo concerni um persico they're all just really at the start of their careers which is very very exciting yeah, and definitely. The, the under twenty three world championships coming in what two years or next year? No, not next year because logistics are hard. Yeah, twenty twenty five. Twenty twenty five. Right. Okay. On that note, did anyone know it was the under twenty three European Championships this weekend? No, only because I saw Shirin post about it. Yeah, I had no idea, and I don't. I didn't because I'm sure they were together last year. The same. Mm. In Italy, and now they're separate in separate places. Uh, they were definitely, they were definitely the same. Yeah, they they usually are together. I feel like. Yeah, 
So I don't know what went on there. But um, Shirin and Van Anroy won both. So, but everyone else was at the Giro. Yeah, that's super weird. That's annoying, actually. The race would have been way better if they'd... I only knew about it because I follow Latvia's um, Instagram account, Latvian Cycling's Instagram account. And I was like, why are they posting about this so much? And then I was like, oh, I see. What other, anything else? Does anyone else have any, anything to add about the Giro? I feel like there's a, we've covered a lot. There's a um, lot that's been covered. I guess if you look at the overall GC, um, it was just good to see some of those young riders up there in the mix um, who sometimes aren't given that opportunity because the team is too stacked and maybe they don't even get the chance to race or that they're having to, to work their asses off for the leaders, which is fine. But um, with the Giro this year and the fact that the Tour de France is coming just two weeks later, like we were saying, good to see Neve Bradbury have the opportunity to be a GC rider. When else would that ever have happened? Um, same with hashtag free Neve. Like, again, she's just not at that point in her career where she's on a team that, you know, she can be the outright leader. I'm really surprised that SC Works didn't bring Ashley Moen Passio to this race. Like, of course, she's targeting the the Tour de France Femme, but they've got multiple options for that race. And I just feel like if they brought Ashley to this race, given the fact that there was not a ton of GC favorites on the start line, like at the very beginning of the race, and then once the kind of chips were thrown up in the air and fell... There was only three people in the general classification, and I would assume that if Ashley was in the race, she would have made it four people. Yeah, valid. And I also feel like she's a rider who could have done both. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm pretty surprised that that SD Works left her at home. I'm surprised with SD Works tactics. I agree. I agree. It's great that Neve got got that opportunity but i also think that they they would have played well off of each other and it would have maybe made the race a little bit more interesting for sd works because they're walking out of this race with absolutely nothing to show for it except for that white jersey what do you think they expected a bit more from Kapeki and thought like okay we're not going for the gc they probably knew that neve could maybe run a top five or top ten um based on the, the start list which she didn't end, she ran that top five. But with Kapeki, I'm sure they thought, yeah, we'll bring a, one of the leaders of the team to this race. And if we get a bunch of stage results, that's a really good outcome. But, but we've, she just wasn't in the mix. Yeah, we've, we've been saying this all year, that Kapeki's sprint is not at all what it used to be. And so they would have looked at the courses for this race and seen that Voss and Balsamo were going to be there. And I don't know how they could have been like, oh yeah, Kapeki can definitely sprint against Balsamo. Like, no, maybe last year, not this year, no chance. I think I think Kapeki is a rider that really suffered from from the fact that every stage was essentially a sprint or a climb. Like she mm. would have really done well in a in a more breakaway situation. Or even I think stage six was the really big chance for her. And she did come third, I, I think. think. Second. <laughs> but but you know but if you're not first you're last exactly and and they maybe thought that some faster riders wouldn't be there anymore but that didn't work out but you can't come you can't necessarily come to a whole race with 
only one stage that really suits you and because then if you don't get that then what was the whole point um so yeah I, I think it is a shame for Kapeki but also you could have looked at the course and possibly predicted that maybe she was just using it as like training a bit of a form finder before the tour I feel like possible. she's not possibly but she's a rider who shows up to get results too yeah true yeah. um but we'll never know we'll see if it if it works out for SD works at the at the Tour de France fans Zwift. it better because they've really had nothing to show from stage races this year other than Demi's win at the women in no. Zulia yeah it's Zulia yeah she won the, she won I everything. mean, to be fair, she won every stage and the GC. So. But then if we think about longer ones, women's tour, what was going on there? Yeah, definitely. Anyway, lots, lots about the Giro. We probably will have more to talk about next week, but we're, we're all looking forward to the Tour de, tour de France Femme of Egg Zwift, where we will lose Amy and Tilda. I don't really know what we're going to do about podcasts. I guess that's TBD. Might just be me and Lauren, like the olden days. <laughs> we'll have a uh, rider diaries again, and thank you so much to Hannah Barnes, Leah Thomas, and Neve for for chipping in with those rider diaries. It is really hard to formulate thoughts when you're racing a ten day stage race, and I always find it funny when for the first stage I get them like three minutes after the stage is done, and then by stage six i'm like hey <laughs> you got those and then by stage eight i just don't ask and if i get them it's great and if i don't then it's fine as well <laughs> um but we've got some really great riders lined up for rider diaries during the tour de france femme of x swift and other fun stuff as well that we will keep everybody informed of again thank you so much for listening to the freewheeling podcast we will be back next week goodbye mm-hmm.